0: Good morning, good evening, blessings to one and all. Welcome to the MJP Radio Show, and I am your host, Nikki. Today, we have a wonderful guest who is going to share her story of strength and overcoming obstacles. Whether you are a sole proprietor, an entrepreneur, a small business LLC, or a small business corporation, I guarantee that you will have obstacles. You will be placed in various situations. And more importantly, you're going to make mistakes. But it's not about what you do. It's how you rebound. You have to be able to rise from whatever stumble or fall that you may take. Next week, we'll be spending time on helping you identify which type of business you really are. But today it's going to be real talk and conversation with a real person. We'll be right back. To get this conversation started today's broadcast is sponsored by mjp service solutions if you have a service they have a solution they could be found at www.mjpss that's sam sam welcome back to mjp radio this is your host nikki on wdrb media and iHeartRadio, and i am here with Beautiful Miss Keena Brown, who is going to share her story with us today and give us lots of inspiration about being a woman and entrepreneur. Hi, Kina.
1: Hi, thank you so much for having
0: me. So much gratitude. <laughs> thank you for coming on and doing this interview with us. Again, um, I know a little bit about your story and I think it's a wonderful story to share with people. So, Let's get started. So tell us about yourself, Ms. Keena Brown.
1: (laughs) You know, that's always that question you get in interviews. (laughs) Um, People love to talk about themselves, but when they're asked that question, they don't know how to answer. (laughs) Never do. Um, So I am here. I live in Miami. I am actually a new realtor. Um, I am with Kella Williams, but I'm with a team called Access Perfect Homes. Access Perfect Homes actually is um, a really important sort of team because we actually concentrate and our focus or our specialty is with the uh, senior and disabled market. Um, and finding the right homes for them. Um, it's just, it, it was a discovery and I don't have the data in front of me to give you the exact, but really only 1% of our homes are made for the disabled or for someone who is a senior that might need certain specifics like the entrance to their bathroom or the doorway or just different things that we don't think about when we have our full mobility so that was one of the reasons why I decided to join this team and as far as being a part of Keller Williams because in order to practice your uh, license you must be with a brokerage Keller Williams is awesome great for training and number one in technology so I'm having a good time I'm
0: a new agent though just started three months ago
2: well,
0: congr- <laughs> congratulations Wow, you touched on something that you are 100% right. A lot of people do not think about the disabled or the elderly as needing a home and having a home built for them. Like you mentioned doorways. Yes, if you're in a wheelchair or walker, you need to have ex- extra wide doorways, having um, clear paths, the, the new the new style tubs. Yeah. One level, being able to go outside. And even making
1: it beautiful. Why does it have to have everything? So we actually have a part of the company that does actually retrofitting. will actually build um, and working to develop or help to in that direction of making sure that this home is aesthetically beautiful and has all the functions necessary to operate with, you know, whatever... the 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 buyer the client the homeowner might need um and you know it's funny too there's also people in the luxury market um and that's that million dollar over uh market that also looks for that type of 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 that situation where they can have this home that is beautiful It, it doesn't have to be just one kind of home there are many people all across the sectors that are looking for this. You know, as a lot of our people who come back from um, our countries that they're they're our service members and they may Mm -hmm. come back wounded. They are fully functional and can move in their brains and, and can work just that maybe their body, there's not, and they need this home. They have kids, they wanna have an office space at home. They wanna have just the space to move around outside. So especially since COVID, that has also become a really important thing, that space in that at-home office, you know, so.
0: Definitely. This Mm -hmm. is very interesting, and it's wonderful. Um, Do you only service Florida? So,
1: um, my license is in Florida. However, one of the great, uh, Things about working with a company the size of Keller Williams and also just networking with many great agents outside of Keller Williams is that we can call on each other. So let's say you wanted to buy a house in Seattle. Say Keena, I'm your agent, and you're like, Keena, I want to buy a house in Seattle. Well, I know as my as your client, as as your as your agent that I need you to get the best possible place with someone who has the experience and the knowledge of that area. So I'm gonna now outreach to that state and what will happen if it's in Keller Williams, I'll speak to the team lead, we'll get all the top agents, I may you know, have a small interview or some networking where you meet fabulous agents that are not in the network and we keep it and, and we refer each other. But what it allows me to do is that if you are my client, But you're buying in a place that I don't know anything about. I want you to have the best information and the best um, experience about where you are buying. However, I want to make sure that everything goes well and that I am able to not necessarily be a part of it because it is I am not legally able to practice in the state. But that I have a relationship with the agent and we can talk and she can let me know what's or he can let me know what's happening. And then anyway, to just, you know, be able to be of some assistance from the outside, but to be there for them, you know. If they have any questions that I can help them with. Okay. So basically, I can spread it all over. You want to go to the Caribbean, that house in Jamaica? I Let's can help go. The great I'm thing about ready. I'm in 50, 50 countries, so we can take you to South America, Europe, everywhere. Really? Oh, that yeah. really That's my... good to know. Okay. <laughs> yes. My arms are wide. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs>
0: We'll be right back after these short messages.
2: So we are coming with a force, Yeah, Blessings we are reaping, we're going to be Oh, we're going to rise and boast. Yeah, we give thanks that like we need it the most. We have to give thanks that like we're really supposed to be thankful. Blessings are coming. Soon get the eye a ring like hello brother he say I had to show ya you. Saw your poster, spectacular photo Keep it burning, yes, that's the motto If me the butter, pass through your show together
0: Welcome back. Let's continue this conversation. So Miss Kino, what is your driving force, especially as a woman, for becoming an entrepreneur and stepping out to do this for yourself?
2: Wow. Well,
1: my driving force is probably myself and wanting to see what am my possible to do. What are the possibilities that lie within me that I've never discovered before? Um, what can I do? Um, my family has always been entrepreneurs. On my mom's side, my dad's side. You know, whether my grandfather was a butcher, but it was still his business, you know? Um, my, God, my dad was into the petrol business. It was still his business. And I've always grown up wrong. So there was always that drive to want to have your own. Always knowing that it was always a lot of work. But as a woman, and as you see your time moves, it's like, what is going to be your mark? What is your legacy? What did you come here to do? What, where, How are you going to help people? I, I don't know about you, but I want to make a whole bunch of money so I can give it all the way. I want to help. I want to be able to help. Maybe I am a venture capitalist. Maybe I'm helping women grow their business. And there's a way that I can help you and I can still, you know, earn off of it as well. And there's a way that I can give without even having to worry. But I wanna to get to the point where I'm free to live the life that I can live without having to worry about that kind of money. So um, the truth is we can work for people and there are great jobs out there. There are wonderful jobs and people find great careers, um, but there's another way of building wealth. Um, at a faster rate. (laughs) That is, It is riskier, but it is going out on your own and working for yourself and creating and growing your own business. Um, It's not an easy road and you have to stay really disciplined. And to be honest with you, sometimes I have that moment when I just, um, I heard this really cool woman say she had her sushi roll moment and I thought that was really cool. And that's her moment when she, um, her name is Melanie Ann Lair and she I have to give her her credit because she's also a, a motivational uh, speaker and she says that she has her moments when she rolls herself up and she allows herself to be in that moment and then moves past it but um, it, 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 it was wanting to figure out what was going to be my legacy, what is my mark, you know there's that song Frank Sinatra, things that I did it my way Mm-hmm. That was my dad's
0: favorite song. (laughs) And and I'm sure you are definitely going to do it your way. (laughs) I love that you've mentioned um, your motivational speaker. What are some um, business-related books or inspirational books or even speakers that get you through your day?
1: Oh, my goodness. Right now, it's like a hydrant. Uh, (laughs) It is gonna be real estate related, but it's actually for anyone because it, when I say real estate related, it's written by Gary Keller, some of his stuff, but it's really good. Oh, 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 the one thing, oh, there you go. The One Thing, this is an awesome book. Um, It really gets down to if you did this one thing every day, and by doing this thing, it will allow you to live a life that if you... Other things are not necessary. So the truth is we can't do everything. It takes away the whole idea of multitasking. Oh, um, love it. So the story that comes to mind that they use, which is probably the fastest one because I'm in the middle of being, is Michael Phelps. Michael Phelps is the uh, Olympic swimmer. He men, won many um, uh, Olympic uh, awards. I can't tell you how many it was. But, what, but he didn't have or they did not think he was going to do much because of um, I think ADD and don't quote me and also to you know maybe have the tendency to get in trouble but one of the one thing he did every day was swim every day he swim if it was just for I don't know how many hours but he did that every day and this is what this one thing really gets to mastering that one thing so for an agent for example Lead generation is the number one thing that you need to do. It's not basically uh, the most urgent thing, but I always need to have people in the pipeline. I always need to have business coming in. So lead generation has got to be my number one thing. So now in my calendar from 9 to 11, I'm not doing anything else but making calls or talking to people. And it's not an easy thing to do. And sometimes it's boring, but that is the one thing I can do every day mm-hmm. that will lead to a conversation of, hey, how are you doing? But also, oh, by the way, you know what? I have a friend. They might need some help with real estate. Or guess what, Kina? I've been thinking about buying in the next two years. You're a client mm-hmm. and they, it may, no may not mean now.
0: Just means not yet. That That <laughs> is, that is, Keywords to every entrepreneur, whether yes. it's sale, whether you're selling a product or selling um, yourself, you have to understand that no doesn't mean no. It's just not now. I just always not- tell, I always tell um, the people that I train. I tell them your nose, you need to be able to brush them off. But it's like dating. You have to go through the weeds to get to the rose. And every mm-hmm. no is just a weed. Pick it up, pluck it, and toss it to the side.
1: Mm-hmm. 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 That's it. it. It it that's that it's just, it's just it and and I'm saying it now like, oh, I do it all the time. No, sometimes I don't. And you recognize when you don't and you feel it because mm-hmm. when you for yourself, you realize it. So it it, you know, um, it's 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 something that you do every day. Um you know, I watched this thing where there was a young man who was Down syndrome and he did a um, a, a, what is the race that you know, triathlon mega, you know, the iron net, and he did it along with another agent. And what he did was just one percent every day, just one percent, you know. I, I think we're all alike, you know, um, and especially if, as an entrepreneur, you have to be so disciplined. Get into situations where you're around people who are moving. Some, I'm a part of some group. Sometimes I'm not at that energy level, but at least when I'm with them on those days when I'm not at that, I'm just like tagging along. And then some days I'm up there with them, but it it, it is really surrounding yourself with with reading those good books, like you said, um, mm-hmm. and also being around that the people, the people, your, your, your environment, the, the, the your, your cohorts, the people who want the same things, that helps a lot. It, it That
0: energy moves over. That's not what you asked me, but I just thought I'd tell you. No, that. but do you, no, it's, you're right on point, as they say, you know, the saying, if you are the ceiling around of the people around you it's time to go to another floor you need yeah. to have people that know more like you said do more push. have that energy push it you they if that's 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 what's going to help you grow if mm-hmm. you're not growing why are you here yeah and, 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 and I'm
1: doing my self-talk right now and I've heard so many positive people talk and motivational speakers I'm like I'm sounding just like a them and I'm on the other end like
0: really how did you do that but it's the mm-hmm. truth it's just it's the truth repetition the more you hear the more you it gets into your soul and you start to do and then you you show someone else yeah you know um you don't want to ever keep don't be a secret agent and don't be uh don't keep your your blessings you got to share them with the world and i love the fact that you are so willing to do that well
1: that's you know, so that's So true, girl. You're right. You got to share them with the world. Don't keep it
0: a secret. We'll be right back. Today's broadcast is sponsored by MJP Service Solutions. If you have a service, they have a solution. They could be found at www.mjpss.com welcome back so what made you other than the family you know have you done any other entrepreneurship type uh businesses or any experiences that you have
1: so um there was another part of me that decided, not another part. So I'm like you, you know, we were talking about before we started um, being of help, you know, service driven. So <laughs> I had wanted to get into the philanthropic world and I still do. I just have to figure out another angle. Uh, so working, I started uh, working for myself as um, as a consultant and that was my real, okay, actually let me back it up. I did become an entrepreneur, but my uh, the first time I became an entrepreneur was something that was actually, life happened and I was pushed into it. It wasn't that I was setting up myself. Um, lo- what I did know was that my father had been preparing me all this time, but I wasn't in any mind thinking that uh, he something would happen to him that would have to push me into that role um, in in our business, and um, so my I, I lost I had I lost my father tragically, and it was suddenly, and I had just rejoined him a year before, and um, it was to learn the business along with my brother who was also in it. So we were in the petrol business in the Caribbean in Jamaica. And then unfortunately my father uh, was, um, he was uh, killed and um, on a Sunday. And then on Monday morning, I was now a business owner. Uh, uh, yes, it was inherited, but I was a business owner, I'm an entrepreneur. You know, I don't even know if it was inherited. It was just, I got to go and do it. And mm-hmm. um, that, it, you know, it's funny because the next day after this, tragedy had happened we went into work and I saw it was in the newspapers because my, my dad had been well known for his uh, business and his um, his uh, work in Jamaica with the Gasoline Retailers Association that it was all over the news and the newspapers and the guys are holding the newspaper in my face and I'm seeing him and I'm having to go into this place and it says Mr. Nice Guy you know murdered or, you know and Mr. LG Brown. And I'm like, God, they don't even know that's my dad. And wow. I just look at that shape my head and I would drive in and it was business because here we had about that time, maybe about maybe 40, 40 families. So maybe about 40, 40 to 60 employees. So we'll just call them families. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this is Jamaica. They're, they're, this is the, this is some of them. This is what they're taking care of their whole family. But so, you know, maybe one of them was just a breadwinner. We had women who were single mothers. You know, we had to be there. And the way that my dad had set up the business, thankfully, um, he was pretty wise in that regards. And he, we were able to move forward, but it was essentially pushed in. And now you had to rise up. You had to rise up. You couldn't, you weren't daddy's little girl anymore.
0: Yeah. But look at the woman that you are now. It, it broke, it, broke. Me. <laughs> it, 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 it may have temporarily broken you, but that's the beauty and the reality. You can get up and you got up and you got up stronger and wiser. Look at what you're doing now. Look at the goals that you have set for yourself. There's no stopping you. This has always been in you. And I thank you for sharing with so many, not just women, people, minorities, um, children, showing them that no matter what happens, you just have to get up. And as long as you get up, you will be okay. And you can be anything.
1: There, You know, there's no other... The only other choice is to not do anything. And then what kind of life would you have? We're all here, They're, our legacy is here. And, and when I say legacy, it doesn't mean that, you know, you're going to leave tons of money or you're going to have a library or, but the, the, the way that you impact the lives of That's others. it.
0: Yep, that is exactly it. People equate business and success to money. Money doesn't make you. It's who you are. It's your soul. It's your heart. It's your passion. That's your legacy. That's that, There's nothing else. I've you know you know the saying. Um, you can have all the money in the world and still be unhappy, and have just enough and live a glorious life.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So, I mean, if you think about it. You know, both of us, we, we understand the Caribbean. We see the people in, you know, in some of the areas and they just mm. go on happy. May not have a but they're just happy.
0: Exactly. And we here in the States, struggling and miserable and stressed out, having heart attacks. For what? Right. It makes no sense. They have
1: the same problems, same issues. <laughs> they weren't about their kids. They weren't about everything. But you know what, when they come home, they're happy. Yep. They see their family outside. They see their friends. They hail up their people. You hear the music.
0: Mm-hmm. You hear the people in the
1: church. That's it.
0: That's They're, it. They smell the food. <laughs> oh, don't even talk about it. Don't even talk about the food. Oh my gosh. All right, Miss Brown, tell us how do we locate you?
1: Wow. Um <laughs> Well, I am definitely going to give you my handle. Um, I do have my IG page, which is, which is Kina Brown Realty. Um, and you can also find me on my uh, personal page. It's Keena Love. I don't have, I don't post anything crazy. <laughs> you get to know about that. Um, so, um, so, one of the things that being an entrepreneur or solopreneur is that you have to work on your marketing. So, that is what I'm actually working on right now. So, I hope to have more handle for you, but I am Keena Brown at the Keller Williams Aventura office in Florida. Um, my email is keenabrown at kw.com.
0: Today's broadcast is sponsored by MJP Service Solutions. If you have a service, they have a solution. They could be found at SamSamInc.com. This segment of Life According to Malik is sponsored by Ndougal and Ndougal. Serving the community of South Carolina, especially young men between the ages of 13 and 25. Visit their website, ndougalquatndougal.org. That is, n is in Nancy, d is in David, u, g is in George, u, k, w, a, n is in Nancy, d is in David, u, g is in George, u.org.
3: coming at you. So check this out, right? I decided to bring one of my good friends and fraternity brothers on with me out here on location, but we're also going to simulcast on Facebook and on Anchor and my other podcast platforms so that we can get this perspective out. And we're also doing a simulcast on an open Zoom right now. So, I'm hoping you can hear the responses. It's my first time doing this. I've got to get myself tidy in technology-wise to make this a lot better. But, um, so, tonight's episode, we're going to talk about the 1619 Project. Now, I don't want to go down rabbit holes, so let's not do that. What I want to talk about is the 1619 Projects and whether or not it should be taught in the public school system. Now, after having a couple of conversations with my guy, Troy, Troy is a 20-year veteran in the United States Army, but he's also a grown man, and he's a brother of brothers. He's very intelligent, and he can definitely fill us in on what the 1619 Project is. But as we talk about the 1619 Project, we're going to also look at some of the countermeasures that went in of trying to demonize the project and also to counteract the project, sort of like our last president actually using government funds to initiate a project called the 1776 project. So, hey, welcome to Life According to Malik. We'll be right back.
0: This segment of Life According to Malik is sponsored by Ndougal Kwa Ndougal, serving the community of South Carolina, especially young men between the ages of 13 and 25. Visit their website, NdougalKwaNdougal.org. That is N is in Nancy, D is in David, U, G is in George, U, K, W, a, N is in Nancy, D is in David, U, G is in George, U.org. What's
4: important is I come from a family of both educators. Both of my parents were teachers from South Carolina. My, my father actually integrated the schools in South Carolina in 1964. So if you go back to his textbooks and you read the education that he was taught, you understand why 1619 project is so important. Case in point, the books that my father was taught through elementary and middle school, noted that slavery was actually good for black Americans. They actually noted that the reason why we would sharecroppers because we can't take care of ourselves. So what that does is it creates this environment where people feel that the preponderance of responsibility falls back, falls back on us. And you can look at what, what's happening today. The reason why a lot of the young people are more galvanized because they're more educated the actual education system is readily available, it's easily accessible due to the internet. So I think once people get educated, they'll become more compassionate and we can finally come together.
3: So are you saying that we're suffering more from our own ignorances that, are, that appear to be self-imposed because it seems like we carry a wealth of knowledge in our hands and in our pockets uh, by, by the cell phone, i.e. the being everywhere you go, even on airplanes? So when we look at the 1619 project being taught in schools and how it was demonized from day one, sort of like the black boys, sort of like Huckleberry Finn being censored. When we look at literary works such as those and oh, by the way, even now, when we look back and we start talking about the different literary works that have been, uh, that have been banned from schools to kill a mockingbird. Can you believe it? To kill a mockingbird has been banned from school. So is it any reason or any reason why, uh, it wouldn't be an attempt to ban 1619. project. Well, people that and that's why I say it's important to study history,
4: because these things are not new. If you look at um, Uncle Ben's cabin, which is some would say was the catalyst to the civil rights movement. What it did is it humanized black people. Now, people don't really understand Uncle Ben's cabin. What it was trying to do is Uncle Ben was actually some of that sacrifice. and He was supposed to be. Um, you know, to carry the, the, the spirit of Jesus Christ. And meaning meaning that is even when he died, um, he forgave his master. So what they tried to do is humanize black people. Conversely, the other slave that was going up north, his life got better as he traveled up north. Uncle Ben's life, um, you know, entered a life of, of more indignation as he moved further down south. And what that did is it, it us. And then if you look at Uncle Ben's cabin. What they tried to do is if you tried to sell that book in the South, they will kill you. So this attempt of always trying to repudiate history is nothing new. So I think once people understand that, understand these tactics are old, I think people will have
3: a fervor to kind of understand true history in America. Yeah, you always hear me talk about teach history, not fairy tales. You know, one of the things that uh, irritates me the most being a 20 year educator is when I still hear other educators talking about that the Emancipation Proclamation freed slaves. If you ever want to start an argument with me, tell me that up close and personal and, and look like you believe it. Um, I hate when we tell young people that um, because we tend to glance over those high points in American history that actually did shape this country to be what it is. And I think when we uh, when we overlook and, and, and we start to look down and censor those different documents, such as the 1619 Project, we start looking at how, man, Guess what else we can kind of keep in the darks and we, can, and we can put under a bushel. And so when you start looking at the 1619 Project and it goes deep into somewhere around the latter part of chapter two into chapter three and it talks more about the uh, socioeconomic drive for slavery, is there anything that you would disagree with on that? Oh, no, because people have to understand once the congen-
4: once the gin congen- was invented after the Revolutionary War, um, these, planta- these plantations started to proliferate all across the South. So if you think about it from an economic standpoint, you will understand why slavery was so important. And I think once people understand the magnitude uh, of slavery where the North benefited, um, Europe benefited, all these countries benefited off the backs of slavery, they will understand why you had Americans that were willing to fight half of the country just to preserve that institution. And a lot of people say, well, a lot of this. You know, the, the, the Confederate soldiers didn't own slaves, but they have to understand that, you know, the North was precluding slavery moving out West. So if I'm poor in the South and I have I have aspirations of, of of pursuing the American dream, I understand that if you expand slavery and I move to another state, I can be a part of this system. So people really have to dig deep and understand, you know, what what was the role that slavery um, had it to American institution. If you think about it, even a revolutionary war, how would you fund a war against, at the time, the greatest nation in the world if you didn't have the funds to do it? So that's why this education um, of the 1619 is so paramount. Yeah, it's
3: funny you say that because uh, America really didn't have the funds to do it. They did uh, <laughs> Because the thing is, if a lot of the uh, rich and, and uh, well, hell, the, the, the truly wealthy had called in a lot of those markers that were owed to them. And uh, if it had not been for the Boston Tea Party, where it actually restricted some of those enumerated goods coming into the New World, as it was called, guess what? It had actually kind of put that choke point on Great Britain and their ability to maintain their chokehold on America. You know, but again, that goes back to one of those fairy tales that are taught, you know, we lead people to believe that America actually won the Revolutionary War when we didn't. Um, America's uh, America's chokehold on the Revolutionary War became socioeconomic. And we actually bled Great Britain financially more than anything else. So they just kind of gave up because you got to remember, they were in a constant battle with Spain. They were in a constant war with uh, with France. And then when France actually joined in, uh, in, at the Southern part, even during the Civil War, when France joined in, guess what? Now you're looking at, hey, how much can we afford versus how long can we fight?
0: This segment of Life According to Malik is sponsored by Ndougal Qua Ndougal, serving the community of South Carolina, especially young men between the ages of 13 and 25. Visit their website, ndougalkwaanddougal.org. That is N is in Nancy, D is in David, U, G is in George, U K W A N is in Nancy, D is in David, U G is in George. U dot org.
2: Mm-hmm. Baby, this cruise. Ooh, from here.
3: to Life According to Malik. I am your host, Dr. Malik, and we will continue our conversation with no pretense and no emotion. But that doesn't mean be emotionless. Let's get started. Let's talk. So. So when we look at just the 1619 Project, let's look at those five chapters. Let's look at that very interesting magazine put out by the New York Times. What exactly what exactly do you think should go into the American history book at this time. I think you, your case in point, we have to kind of even go back to recent
4: history. You really have to go back to the narrative and, and who really built really the modern education system, which was the daughter, the daughters of the Confederacy. So they, they understood, uh, you know, at the conclusion of the Civil, Civil War, they understood that, you know, we have to have something that's going to culminate into the lost cause. So that's why you see today, 2020, people are, are just being aware of why we even fought the war. So I think we really really have to start with modern times. And I think the great thing um, about history is these things were actually written down in books. So you don't have to go back and wonder what I'm saying, what Malik is saying, but somebody else is saying, go back and read what people were saying at the time. Read what Tom Jefferson, when he spoke about that he's afraid that the wrath of God might come down on America because he understood where he had to compartmentalize what he's writing in the Declaration of, of Independence and having his brother-in-law, which is a slave, tending to him hand and foot while he's writing that document. So we really have to go back and really look at the complexities of, of America. And, and we can go back, and I think we, we as Black Americans will have more compassion because we'll understand, and then that's going to cause into America have a compassion for us because I think what's lost is we have to understand all those conversations that was happening. If you look at Great Britain, why did Great Britain abolish slavery without having a civil war? Why was that? The reason being because they were already moving away from slavery before America was. Why was that? A lot of it has to do with economics. A lot of it has to do with the fact that Great Britain actually uh, you know, was willing to give us more of a citizenship than America was, and we really have to have those conversations, and, and again, I will always tell people: look at the documents. Look at what was actually written at the time. These things are not new. You can look at policies. You can look at what people wrote. Look at the Southern Manifesto. That's my, my father's generation. Southern Manifesto wasn't that long ago. Uh, that that was basically the, the counter to Brown versus Board of Education. That's actually a document that Dylan Ruth he wrote. I mean, not wrote, but he he, he was actually inspired by to 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 really. Um, going to that church and killed nine black people. So we really, we really have to look at um, these things. That's not new. And look at the documents, read them verbatim. Because if you look at those documents, you know people that that, that write things on a sheet of paper, they're not lying. And things have to have signatures. So when, when things have signatures, and you take the time to write it and edit it, and it has to go through the senate and have to go through all these policies.
3: These things was what they actually believed at the time. Well, see, going back to the question about what exactly should be taught, I also look at a lot of things because as a history instructor at the collegiate as well as the secondary level, and I think the lowest I've ever taught history was in, in the seventh grade. Uh, I really think a lot that we have to add is the, is the psychological aspect because a lot of times, and I even notice this about a lot of modern history books, the uh, second great Reformation, second great religious Reformation in the Northeast. Um, with the whole changing of the church system and the religious system there because of the Quakers and the, uh, the uh, upcoming and the rise of the Mormon and the actual exodus of the Mormon from the Northeast moving to the Midwest. Well, a lot of that gets left out because what we fail to realize is that even in 1619, even in 1619, going up to 1865, there were a lot of religious groups in this country that did not agree with slave labor, but they also utilize slave labor because, well, it's a reproducible resource that garners wealth. So it's like anything else when we look at it from an economic standpoint. That's why I think even the 1619 Project has to be taught in economics classes. Because when you talk about elasticity of supply, uh, elasticity of durable durable goods and usages and services, you have to kind of look at, hey, how did slavery play the same role of the ox? How did slavery play the same role as the cow? It's a reproducible resource that, oh, by the way, I pay for a low. I buy it cheap. It's not like buying a truck. You know, you're going to buy a truck and eventually it's going to wear out, but it needs maintenance over time. The slave was fed scraps from the field or scraps from the table. So you, when you look at that and you start talking about the 1619 Project and you look at the economic side of it, When you look at the economic side of it, it should be taught because some of the same ideals are taught today when we look at supply chain management. Uh, When we actually look at now, it's the egregiousness that needs to be taught in sociology and psychology classes. It uh, it when you talk about uh, Francis Scott Key and how, you know, I know everybody wants to, you know, a home of the free land of the brave, you know, and then that high note at the end of the anthem. But there's another verse. Remember that, don't hide that because guess what? Now you're teaching fairy tales. So you don't hide that, but you you explain why, you put it in context. If that causes consternation, if that causes some angst and anxiety, guess what? History should, if it's factual. So even when we look at the 1619 project, those are why, that is why we have to incorporate that context back into the classroom because some people will just never get it. It's amazing how you and I, we sat in a room last week and so many people that didn't even know that institutionalized slavery began in 1619. You know, can you believe that?
4: I mean, I I can, because again, you you look at the history books that that were taught. And I think another reason why the 16 project is is so profound is because it gives us a, a microcosm of what could have been. Chapter one talks about Anthony Johnson, which was one of the first 20 slaves that arrived in Jamestown. And what he was able to do is accumulate wealth. He actually had white and black indigenous servants. So it talks about what would, you know we can reimagine America if, if America would have treated everybody as equal. In one generation, he could have passed down generational wealth. His the same land that he was able to acquire in his lifetime was taken away from him, his grandkids in the next generation. So it gives us a sense of pride. And you know, we, we want to repaint the story because quiet is kept, the, the narrative has been that we're innately um, inferior. That's the reason why, you know, we're in our conditions today. But if you go through the 1619 Project and you really examine history, you will really understand the the psychological. You can understand the healthcare. You can understand education. Um, You can understand, uh, you know, the language. You can understand the culture. You can understand all these things um, that have contributed to where we are today. And I think once people really, 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 um, you know, examine, what led us to to, to where we are today, it will will bring forth a greater understanding and
3: understanding
4: will really bring um, forth more togetherness.
3: Yeah, I got to agree with you on that because I think that's one of the things is that we attempt to hide so much uh, out of, I don't know if it's just generational embarrassment or if it's we're sold so much on that we are so much better than everyone else because we're not like them, that we tend to kind of forget that, yeah, we're a little bit like them. You know, I had my oldest son laughing the other day um, and uh, he, he wanted to talk about the whole incident and uh, of insurrection on January 6th. And I just told him, I said, son, well, that's in the DNA of the, of the United States. I said, because before we became the United States, then I said, you have to remember there was an insurrection and there was an insurrection, I said, because there was, before there was a United States, there was the new world that was owned and run by Great Britain, overseen by Great Britain. But there was a gentleman who decided, hey, I'm going to be the first person to throw a rock, say something ugly, start, start a fight, throw a punch. And then it just so happens he was the first one to get shot. You know, and that's always that has gone down in history known as the shot heard around the world. So I said insurrection has uh, actually been a part of the American DNA long before there was an America. So I said, don't see that as any different, just see how it is likened to how this country began. And I said, but you have to understand that even that crowd in their mind had a rationale for doing what they did, but no different than in, in uh, April 15, 1774, that that crowd had a reason for doing what they did when they dressed up like the indigenous people of the, of the Northeast and attacked the, the, uh, the, the shipping boats in the harbor, in Boston Harbor, throwing over millions of dollars of tea as it would be in today's dollar amount, um, that was considered a, a sign of insurrection. That wasn't a single owner's tea, that was the king's tea, you know? So we have to look at if we dispel some of these myths, we could actually create an air and an open environment to have calm discussions. Because I think that's where we fall short is when we talk about the outcomes and what happened during slavery and the atrocities, people tend to get way too emotionally involved. They do. And if we could actually find out and garner that that level ground and actually see how, hey, there was some context to this. And in, you know, what we, we, we what is this? 2021? 2021, 2021. Why are we still mad? What you angry about? You know, and i tell you an interesting story before we end. I had a conversation with my mom a couple of weeks ago, and she says to me, she was like, uh, son, you know, it's amazing how my children in their 40s are facing some of the same things that my, you no, know, that my grandchildren and great-grandchildren are facing that her father, that her grandfather did. And I said, wow, she skipped an entire, gen- oh, excuse me, not her grandfather, but her father. I said, she skipped an entire generation of her father to say, man, now my grandfather was born in Mississippi, and he was born in in a place called Randalltown, Mississippi, and he he was born in 1900, and I thought that was astonishing to hear her say that, that her grandchildren and her great-grandchildren are seeing some of the same issues that her father saw. It's amazing. I said, and, and, and I think it's because one, we have painted this historical picture with this sweeping brush of utopia uh, that we have forgotten that there's some history out there that would actually bring context to the subject matter. Hey Troy, I appreciate <laughs> it, man. Thank you. Would love to have you back on life. time appreciate to it, Any,
4: anytime, anytime Q, anytime. Definitely appreciate uh, joining this, this platform and, and uh, we know that the, the goal is to make the next generation better. Um, you know i look at it as you know each generation even even though i agree and disagree with some of the tactics but i always say uh, inaction um, is, is is just not acceptable um, as long as you're doing something for the, uh, the betterment of humanity because this is not a, a, a black issue. this is a, a black issue this is a human issue and i think we have to get back to uh, at least them seeing us as human beings and not as a friend or a fellow soldier or a colleague or because we can play basketball or make you dance. It's just as a human being, and I, and I think that's that's really what we aspire to do. See us, see us see us as your brother. If you call us Christians or or whatever the re- religion or brothers in arms, see me as your brother, see me as your sister. So if you see something happen to one of our brothers, um, just like you'll see me mourn, um, you should be mourning as well, and you should be doing something about it um, to make sure that we eliminate these ingest, injustices that continue to persist uh, 6, 16, 19.
3: Hey, I appreciate you all jumping in with Life According to Malik. I'd like to thank my guy Troy on location once again. Definitely appreciate you sitting in with me. Hey, guys, love you. Stay safe. Mask up. That's Malik out.
0: This segment of Life According to Malik is sponsored by Ndougal Kwa Ndougal, serving the community of South Carolina, especially young men between the ages of 13 and 25 visit their website and google org. that is n is in nancy d is in david u g is in george u k w a n is in nancy d is in david u g is in george u.org